I believe in a capitalism that has to be made better, that is in some ways reformed, and that ensures that social environmental costs are actually priced in. Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the wins and fails of innovators, brought to you by CDTM in Munich. Welcome to Mostly Awesome. Our guest today is Saskia Broyston, a leader in the social business movement. She co-founded Yunus Social Business together with Nobel Peace Prize laureate Professor Muhammad Yunus. Saskia has a study background in economics and started her career at the Boston Consulting Group. In her late 20s, Saskia was seeking for opportunities to use her knowledge in business and finance to change people's lives. At this time, in London, she had a pivotal meeting with Muhammad Yunus. She was impressed by his work and together they then decided to found Yunus Social Business. Yunus Social Business does two things. First of all, they invest in social, local businesses that help to provide employment, education, healthcare, safe water and clean energy to over 9 million people in developing countries. And secondly, they help corporate leaders to realize a social and sustainable vision for their company. But this isn't the only project she has been focusing on. She's an active member of the UN Commission's Experts Group on Social Businesses as well as a lecturer at events, including the World Economic Forum and the Clinton Global Initiative. In 2020, together with the World Economic Forum, she co-initiated the COVID Alliance for Social Entrepreneurs. Now, before we get started, let me briefly walk you through what to expect in this episode. We start off by talking about what a typical day looks like for Saskia and what were the factors that played into her switch from consulting to social business. We then continue talking about her experiences in social business, where she shares her insights on how to address a customer group that doesn't have a lot of money, how to decide which businesses to invest in, and how they measure social and environmental impact at your new social business. An aspect I personally really find interesting. Lastly, as always, we learn about Saskia's favorite book, app, podcast, routine, and innovator in her toolbox. Apart from being a woman with lots of drive and experience, Saskia is also a really inspiring personality who seems to have found her place in the world. Listening to her story, I once again noticed the power of entrepreneurship not only as a self-actualization tool, but also as a powerful means to tackle large global problems. So without further ado, let's welcome Saskia Broyston. We're super excited to have her on our podcast today. All right. Uh, so welcome, Saskia, to our podcast. We are super thrilled to have you here today. So besides being an entrepreneur, you're also a co-initiator of several initiatives such as the COVID Alliance for Social Entrepreneurs at the World Economic Forum and a member of the advisory board at several institutions. Knowing that the day usually has 24 hours, we were wondering how does a typical day look like for you? Well, a great question. Uh, I would say it has changed to a certain extent. I mean, since COVID, a typical day has been like 12 hour Zoom calls and then trying to decompress of looking into the camera the entire day. <laughs> But yeah, I think otherwise you would say like no day is the same. I used to have the opportunity to travel around the world a lot, which was fantastic just in terms of a learning opportunity, because of course, as Unisocial Social Business, we have offices in many countries around the world, in India and East Africa and Latin America and various places. So I used to spend one uh, week in a, in a month in one of those places. That has, of course, changed. As I said, like now during COVID times, it's literally been like Zoom call 
calls all the day. So sometimes it's a little bit hard to remember what actually happened when and where you met someone because like everything is just in a square or rectangular form and shape and it's and it's sort of hard to remember. But generally, I would say it's it's a variety of different things, everything involving discussing strategy with my team in terms of next steps, checking out what kind of awesome investments we are making in social businesses, working with the team on how to tell the story about our social businesses, talking to corporate clients and convincing them that they should be setting up uh, social business ventures and, and actually ensuring that they really use their core competences to create a better world in the broadest sense. And then obviously, as you said, some of the, the side initiatives that I have, like the COVID Alliance that we created together with the World Economic Forum to help bail out social entrepreneurs during the crisis and, and many other things. So yeah, it's quite a varied day, but I love it that way. Super cool. But then most of your time actually still um, goes into your new social business, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that's clearly still my focus and everything that I do really also comes from that perspective. So that is really my core purpose to find a way, how can we make business better? How can we use the very strong tool of business to solve social and environmental problems? That's really my key and personal mission and everything I do, I do through that lens. Yeah, let's circle back a little bit. In your 20s, actually, you had a successful career as a senior consultant at Boston Consulting Group, right? What drove your decision to shift focus on social business and impact investing back then? Well, I, yeah, I, I had basically started my career in a very streamlined way. I uh, studied business or economics in Germany and was abroad also there. I went, took the, the next sort of typical path to, to go into consulting. So I worked at the Boston Consulting Group for, for a variety of different years, starting in Munich, since you guys are recording out of Munich. And then later on, I moved to New York with BCG. And I think the first time I've actually really started asking myself the question why I was doing certain things was probably in my mid-20s. And that's when I was like, hmm, I really learned a lot. I like had a great time at BCG. I had a great time studying uh, business and economics beforehand. But perhaps now it's the time to actually think about why I'm doing what I'm doing and what else I could perhaps do. And at that point, I started, well, creating a little bit of a sort of research project for myself, finding out what is sort of Saskia's future. And I created a Saskia future file, which was a very structured Excel sheet, like a <laughs> would do, that had all the various categories of potential areas where I could use my skills to do something better for the world, where there were all the types of companies or organizations underneath. There was like a whole uh, database of contacts of people that I had asked questions. And then there were all the deadlines of when I had to apply to certain things, etc. And so throughout this process, I then found a variety of different job opportunities, but somehow wasn't entirely convinced of any of them. Um, and of course, BCG was also a cool company that had a lot of development potential. And uh, yeah, and then I randomly uh, went to a talk at LSE in London at the London School of Economics where Mohammed Yunus spoke. And as you may know, he is quite an inspiring speaker and he spoke about social business and it just suddenly clicked. It, it was just like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Yeah, let's use business to solve social problems rather than like go into government or set up an NGO or anything like that. And that just really clicked because I felt I always was a believer in business. I just felt that business had gone a little bit off the path of where it should actually go. And yeah, and so so that's why I was like, yeah, social business makes so much sense. And in the end, I, I walked up to him. I gave him my business card. I said, you're super cool. And well, 
there's a, various other things that happen in between. But in a nutshell, I eventually flew to Bangladesh and uh, looked at what he had built up there with the Grameen Bank and a number of other social businesses he had created. And I was sold. And that's now <laughs> over 12 years ago. And now almost 10 years ago, uh, we then set up Uno Social Business. That's super cool. Yeah, he was actually yeah. a guest at uh, TUM Speaker Series as well uh, a while ago. And uh, I totally agree. He's super inspiring. So he got me so, off uh, that path onto the yeah. right path. <laughs> Sounds like a Yoda as a mentor. <laughs> so, but then did you did you throw your extra sheet in the in the paper basket, or did you have some learnings from that extra sheet that, like, although you met then Eunice, you could still say, okay, this is why I'm moving into this direction. No, I think what is always important for any change that you want to make or any next steps that you want to make is you have to be ready for it. And for me, getting ready was to think about what are all my options and then figuring out what suits me best, where I where can I add the most value. And so for me, that process of, I would say, one and a half or maybe even two years of really thinking through and like exploring while I was doing what I was doing, what I could be doing in the future was a really important basis for that decision that I could then make very abruptly. So I do think that what is very essential is to have that openness and whatever you need to do as an individual to feel comfortable to take a decision is what you need to do. In my case, I needed to do that analysis. I needed to write down all the options, weigh the pros and cons, and then I could take a decision. And so for me, that was great. And actually, by the way, friends of mine were like, oh my God, you should write books. Like how you should write a book. <laughs> Like all this detailed analysis that you did, because I'm sure many, many people are constantly on that search of, of their mm. own path and uh, for their own purpose. So I should have done that back in the day. I think now my knowledge is a bit outdated since it's like more than it <laughs> yeah, was a relevant process for me. So I, I took a lot of learning. Mm. But was yeah. there any specific trigger that made you search for this purpose or was it just a process? You know, Lisa, I've been asked that questions many times. So The real thing is I don't feel that there was like one specific trigger. I think it was a process. There was that element of me just growing up and like, like getting out of the bubble that I had grown up in, which was like a nice home with, with lovely parents that took care of me and like gave me everything that I needed to mm -hmm. eventually end up being a little bit in the, in the real world, having to make my own money and, you know, having to being a quite competitive meritocratic environment at BCG, but then also having the ability the first time in my life to travel to crazy places, like to tr travel, travel across Africa, India, you know, the Middle East um, and Latin America were definitely things that made me see a bit clearer what the world actually really looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think those elements together, like growing up, seeing the world a little bit more, were definitely the basis for me to be able to take that decision. And then in some ways, Yunus's speech was a little bit the cherry on the cake that made it more, even more concrete for me. So yeah, so there are a variety of different things. I mean, one thing that I've also said a couple of times, which I do think was definitely one of the contributors was that I studied in Argentina during the financial crisis there. So mm -hmm. that was 2000, 2001. And I think we saw there with the Argentinian peso being devalued from one day to the other, how ordinary people from one day to another can lose everything that they've ever saved for and suddenly really so easily slip into poverty. And I think that was definitely something that sort of shocked me. I don't think I fully realized it back then, but looking back, uh, that was definitely something where I understood like, wow, uh, something is wrong in our capitalist system. And 
it is very easy from a okayish place where you are to really slip into poverty. So that was definitely one of the moments that contributed to that overall decision. Okay, so okay, so say, would you say that because there are so many global problems actually, and that I mean, with Yunus, you are also tackling not just one but several. Would you say that like like this poverty that you experienced like firsthand there in Argentina was that the one that attracted you most back then, or was it also was that just one of the of many that you like drove you to the, to that decision then? I think, as I said, Tim, I think it's really just one of many. In the end, you know, I, I didn't grow up in poverty, so I'll be very honest. I've been, you know, I've had a very, very lucky upbringing. And so for me, poverty is definitely like this injustice of poverty is definitely something that drives me. But fundamentally, and, and the fact that like I would love everyone to have similar opportunities and outcomes as I've had in my life is definitely one thing that drives me. But in general, I see that business in itself needs to change. And I see that that is the, the, the issue in itself. And so poverty is one of the problems we can solve with a vehicle of business. But there are also various other problems that I think business as a vehicle can contribute to. So that could be things like climate change. It could be many other social problems as well. So it doesn't only have to be poverty which in brackets is the focus of unisocial business, really. Mm. But I really see business as a vehicle that can solve many other problems beyond poverty that are social or environmental. Yeah. Oh, I, th I think with that, uh, it makes sense to jump uh, right into the next block and talk more about what you actually do at Eunice. Exactly, because our next block is completely about social business. And there are so many questions that we want to ask there as well. So starting this off, uh, your professional journey in social business uh, started after you met Mohamed Yunus, as we heard, in 2006. But before we deep dive into the topic, could you give us like a very brief overview on what is the main difference between a social enterprise, nonprofit, and conventional business? Also for our listeners to understand. So a normal business is just a business that is there to maximize profits for shareholders. That's, let's say, the Anglo-American way of looking at it in any case, the shareholder value maximization doctrine. Then on the other hand, you have NGOs or government that in the end have a goal that is supposed to profit society. And that could be NGO or government. The way that they finance themselves is either through donations or through taxes, but the client, the beneficiary of the social services is not the same as the person that's paying for it. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there. And I think NGOs and governments are often criticized for not being the most efficient and effective, even though in brackets, it's a damn hard job. So, you know, also kudos to them that they've got this far. And then there's sort of the logic of social business in between, which is the idea of taking the goals that government or NGOs have, i.e. the social goals, but using the highly efficient machine, which is the machine of business. And that is sort of what we call the best of both worlds, because you have that motivation of solving social and environmental problems, but you use that incredibly efficient machine. So we call these problem-solving machines that run on their own steam, that are independent, that do not need constant donations from others, but that have created a business model out of solving social and environmental problems. That's what we call a social business. 
Mm. But still with these uh, social businesses, you're addressing a customer group that doesn't have a lot of money, right? So I assume that very often it is really hard to actually generate money with this. Well, how do your businesses usually tackle that problem? That's a great question, Lisa. And I, I mean, if we're speaking about social businesses, particularly in developing countries, yeah, often the customers are indeed poor or belong to the so-called bottom of the pyramid, which I hate as a word, but it's being used a lot. And indeed, they don't have high amounts of money that they can spend. So often what some of the social businesses that we invest in do is they have financing schemes to allow individuals to buy products. Not They don't have to pay them all up front in cash, but they can actually pay it over several months, for example. So to give you an idea, we have a company that uh, sells water filters to individuals And they don't have to pay the full water filter right away at the beginning, but they can pay it over several months. Or we have a company that sells uh, improved cook stoves to people. And the same thing happens. They can pay it over several months. And the logic that you always have to find is like, what is the amount of money that that poor person is anyway paying? And can that be mm. equivalent to the installment that that person has to make to be able to buy, for example, a cook stove? Mm -hmm. If you think about it, like a, a typical uh, person in a, in a city already has to buy charcoal to be able to cook every day. Mm -hmm. So they already have that, that cost. And now if you, if you actually sell them an improved cook stove, which needs way less charcoal or e even another biofuel that's cheaper, the amount that they save in terms of charcoal for on a three stone stove allows them to then, for example, pay for the installment for that, for that new improved cook stove. So you always have to think in terms of what's the business model for the customer? How can we find a way that for them, it's actually not more expensive, but it's the same. But in the end, they have a better product, which will in the end, lower their cost. And I would also say, by the way, we don't only invest in social businesses that sell so services or products um, to the poor, but also that create higher incomes. So to give you an idea, we have a fantastic company in Uganda called Tugen, and they actually lease motorbikes. To, to young un unemployed guys mostly. And normally those young unemployed guys, well, they would rent a motorbike from a motorbike landlord and they would drive around as a taxi driver and they would hardly make any money because they have to pay most of the rent to the taxi landlord. Mm. And in the logic of this company called Tugenda, they actually lease it. So the amount that they would pay in rent to the landlord that they now pay in a leasing fee to that landlord, uh, to not a landlord, but to the company Tugenda, the social business, And after 18 months, the motorbike is theirs, which means as of that moment, they do not have to pay any leasing or renting fee, which means suddenly their income is doubled. These are the types of ways how our social businesses try to solve the problem of yeah, having customers um, or collaborators that do not have the type of money that a rich, rich individual or a middle class individual might, may have. And, and they're just creative, amazing business models that, that actually allow for this to work out as well. So so if I understand correctly, it's mostly also about reducing the initial investment costs because there might not be so much money, but then if you create a business model that like over the time then pays back the initial investment cost, that can be a very profitable business model as well. Okay. Yeah, and when we say profitable, again, like we mean profitable for the world rather than like for us as an individual shareholder. Yeah. So, so in our case, we're really talking about solving the problem. That's what we care about rather than actually just making money for ourselves, for our personal profit. So maybe taking an example of the motorbike, I mean, this is quite a specific uh, business case. So 
maybe from sitting here in Germany, I, I wouldn't have like guessed it. So how, how do you like come, like, how do you come up or who comes up with these business model and then kind of goes also in, in, in the countries and implements them? And yeah, kind of how do you educate the entrepreneurs there? And yeah. So first of all, I mean, it's not like some German entrepreneur comes up with an idea and then goes to East Africa or anything like that. It really is that yeah. we've invest or finance, I should say, local um, entrepreneurs and local companies that have developed their business models and have already started. We actually at Uno Social Business, we don't we don't fund ideas anymore. We did that very much at the beginning, but really now businesses are already running. They've already, you know, figured out which social problem they want to solve. They already are somewhere close to break even and uh, they, they have some kind of a proof of concept already. So in other words, we find a local awesome entrepreneur that already has been doing something and then help them to get the first sort of a round of financing from us after friends and family and before any larger institutional investors come on board. So to give you an example with this company that I just mentioned, that, that motorcycle uh, leasing company, we, I believe, finance them with maybe 200, 300,000 roughly. But now I think three or four years down the line, they just raised a series A of nine or 10 million. So we really were there at the beginning when they were still smaller, when there were still less people that believed in them. And they sort of helped them on that sort of beginning of their growth path. And now they're a much bigger company. I mean, they've uh, leased out motorcycles to over 40,000 individuals in Uganda. Uh, and in East Africa alone, and currently have an active portfolio of over 20,000 motorcycles. So, you know, the, the company has grown quite significantly. And that's one of those examples where we would really say, yeah, job well done. You know, we were able to help them at the beginning, you know, to help them grow when they needed it, to give them a proof uh, of like, yeah, there's another uh, external investor that believes in us too. And mm -hmm. now they, they're like flying and they, They won't need us anymore in the future, but we help them on the on the path, and and I think that's something that we're quite proud of. So that's sort of why we exist. Yeah, super cool. Okay, actually, yeah, I think it's a prime example of like how this can work out actually. But I think most most VCs or maybe most investors don't really think like in these terms yet. And we had a podcast recording just recently with uh, Hanna Midanov, professor at Zoom for international entrepreneurship, and she actually um, had a question for you in this regard um so her question um, to you is how do we educate investors to think more sustainable and socially you know i think there's already quite a movement happening in that direction and that is in part driven by some of the largest asset owners and and even asset managers in this world so some of the pension funds are quite advanced But also BlackRock, which is the largest um, asset manager in the world, is actually now asking for a lot more attention on in terms of ESG, what they call environmental, mm. social and governance. Of course, that's something very different than what we're doing. Like ESG is actually do not create more harm or reduce the harm that you're already creating to your company. Whereas what we're doing is a company that actually creates positive benefits. So that's that's quite a difference. The one is just reducing harm. The other one is actually creating positive benefit. But this is, in my eyes, the first step that big asset managers are taking the direction towards where we are 
in some ways. So I think that those big guys are helping to actually drive the discussion and drive more investment in the direction of social and sustainable investing as well. I think there is another trend, which is like individuals and young people like you guys that go onto the street in the Fridays for Future shape and form, or also, for example, other movements like Black Lives Matters that create awareness for certain social and environmental issues and actually make sure that companies and investors actually have no other choice and also governments to regulate in a certain way to actually support that general awareness. And and yeah, and then so we actually see that big companies like corporations are a little bit stuck in the middle between all of this and they're sort of being pushed more and more to act. So I think these are a variety of different trends that lead to the fact that investors are slowly but surely also more and more educated towards that. And then I think there's one additional thing where we as impact investors that actually invest in social business, etc., have to do is we have to prove that our case is possible and we have to show great examples of companies like the one that I just mentioned, like Tugenda, that are successful at really solving tough problems like job creation in this case, and at the same time can also be profitable. And if we have enough of those proven examples as well, more investors will also come into that direction. But I do have to say that investors, you know, when they are trying to solve really tough problems of poverty, Honestly, they should not expect market rate returns. They, you know, I would be happy if there would be investors that are also willing to look at the returns in a way that also prices in the social return that they're bringing and mm -hmm. not only the financial return as the one metric that they care about. Yeah, you mentioned that actually you chose this company by like the impact they create. And this is something like one of the prime examples, right? But I feel like it is quite difficult I mean, you sort of teasered that the main goal that you're looking at is combating poverty, right? But if you look at this whole SDG framework, then you could also argue that these motorcycles maybe create emissions or whatever. So how do you actually measure this impact and then really evaluate what companies you want to invest in? Great question, Lisa. And indeed, we've gotten that question also often for this mm -hmm. particular you know that of course some motorcycle is probably not yeah. the most environmentally friendly option but indeed you then also have to ask yourself the question of fairness in some ways why should Ugandan people pay for the CO2 emissions that we as industrial nations have mm -hmm. actually emitted over the last many years they now just want to develop they want to have a normal life they want to earn some money and sorry there is no electrical infrastructure in eastern Africa mm -hmm. I mean, there's not even a proper electrical infrastructure in Berlin Mitte, where I live. So, <laughs> so, so, you, so I think there's that like justice question mm -hmm. that you also have to ask, and and then perhaps I mean, what of course we are also trying to do is to actually ensure that there is also the positive environmental impact. So indeed, we also invested in a company that does something similar, not with motorbikes, but with rickshaws. Mm. India with e-rickshaws in this particular mm -hmm. case. So they are electric rickshaws and they've actually figured out that infrastructure issue. Um, so of course, that would be a preferred investment of ours. Of course, we want mm -hmm. investments that are environmentally and socially perfect, right? But in some ways, we're also pragmatists. And that's why we did also invest in Tugenda in the company that with the motorcycles. And as soon as they are able to they would also love to switch to electric mobility but currently their clients just don't are not interested in electric bikes because of the lack of the infrastructure that you have there mm -hmm. locally and i think that's something you know we also have to be fair yeah uh, to give other people the way to the time to develop as well
Yeah, for sure. Just like maybe generalize this question a bit more. How do you actually measure this impact? Like what do you look at primarily when you when you're searching for co companies? Yeah, I think they're generally the three buckets that we look at. One is everything around income generation, which could be either through a job or through mm -hmm. being a micro entrepreneur. The second bucket is customers that we serve. And those customers could then be people that, you know, buy clean drinking water, that buy better education, that mm -hmm. buy green energy. So that's kind of the second bucket. And then the third bucket is CO2 emissions um, that are saved. So mm -hmm. those are kind of three buckets that we really look at. And then each of those buckets have, let's say, more detailed variety mm -hmm. It. But that's how we look at it. And the way we currently look at it is there's a lot of self-reporting also from the companies. Um, and whenever we have some additional funding available, we also do, you know, separate impact studies with external evaluators. We're also now working on implementing a really great impact measurement software that is not just on our end, but that will also be integrated into the sort of business processes of the companies where mm -hmm. they themselves ideally will be able to do surveys with their customers to see you know uh, send them a text message and, and say how well tell me what you've earned this week and then like mm -hmm. a year later and like tell me what you earned that week to be able to really have like the individual level broken down impact that we're creating so that's something that we're implementing right now but in general those are the three buckets so basically mm -hmm. incomes generated uh, customers served and then and then the co2 mm -hmm. emissions I, I think that's a super cool concept to combine that yeah vision to okay what is actually the impact but then using the yeah the business model as, as this engine as you mentioned however this is not the case for everyone right so there are many who, who don't take the component of okay what is actually the impact or the purpose of this and only take a look at okay what what can my engine do so I would I would be curious what you think about capitalism in in this context and if you think it is actually the best system or if it needs to change in a more larger context? Look, Tim, I still believe, and this is maybe because I'm biased from where I, I'm coming from in terms of also my business education, everything. I do believe that capitalism is still the strongest system that we have. I think particularly growing up as a German with a father that also was born in the East. Well, it wasn't the East back then, 1939, but he did grow up in the Eastern zone until he was, I don't know, 13 or something like that. So understanding what the other alternative is to capitalism, communism or socialism, that's not really an alternative that I believe in, but I believe in a capitalism that has to be made better, that is in some ways reformed, and that ensures that social environmental costs are actually priced in to our capitalist model. So to look at a, a concrete example now in the corporate world, I, I don't know how much you guys have been following that the CEO of Danone was, who is who's a friend of ours and who's been you know very much supporting social business as well, was actually ousted by a, an activist investor that thought his financial performance wasn't good enough. But funny, compared to his competitors, But funny enough, if you then actually compare sort of the environmentally adjusted earnings per shares, Danone's performance was actually better than that of, for example, a Nestle. So mm. my idea would be to go to a capitalism where environmental costs and also social costs that companies create or that companies extract from people and the planet should actually be priced in uh, to their business model. And by that companies themselves will actually 
well, harmless because it becomes expensive and ideally create net positive products and services. And so that's the type of capitalism that I, that I wish for. And then I, still, then I think that capitalism is the, the right model and the best model still, but it needs to be improved to ensure that the social and environmental costs are integrated. Yeah. Mm. So what I would love to understand there, also having been in Uganda and working in an accelerator for businesses in general, obviously there are many businesses that just solve a problem there and then they immediately have a social impact as of like a European perspective. But at the same time, I feel like these entrepreneurs very often do what they do because they actually want to make money. And I would love to understand a bit this profile of the social entrepreneur that you're investing in. Are these people who really say, I would like, if I had to choose today, I would always go for the biggest impact over financial gain? Or like, how do these people handle the situation? It's a great question, Lisa. Um, like, how much is it really intentional? And how much is it a marketing feat? Because they then also see that they get cheaper funding. Honestly, I cannot look into the brain of every individual entrepreneur that we're investing into. The only thing I can say there is we have awesome teams on the ground that know these people that they're working with, like the, the entrepreneurs that they've, you know, they work with them for a long time before we really mm -hmm. make an investment. And I think the way that we look at it is to say, is that business model fundamentally, if it continues like this, is that going to create more social impact or environmental impact or not? Is, so mm -hmm. if, is the mission baked into the business model? So even mm -hmm. if the guy or the girl has an intention that is not ideal, will it still make a positive um, impact? Yes or no. So I guess that's the way we're looking at it. But if indeed we really have the feeling that person really does not care at all and they're just trying to get the cheap money from us, then we wouldn't make an investment. So we will have to have the feeling that they do have that positive intention. And we also sort of have the stop loss kind of element that the business model itself really needs to have the impact baked in. That's how we look at it right now. And then finally, of course, we have in our loan contracts, we have certain things in there that if the, the social business completely veers off path and is not focused on the social or environmental mission anymore, we can always call our loan. So this is another way of how to, how to deal with it. So I think these are this is the answer. But Lisa, I think your question is also a little bit more of a philosophical one, yeah. uh, which is, of course, a very good one. Are you creating more impact when you have the intention to create impact? Or are you creating more impact when you just have a very successful business model? And indeed, I would definitely also not say no, that you couldn't also create a major impact, even though you don't care. And if that's what you need to do to be successful. But yeah, that's not really the type of business that we invest in right now. I would have one last question before we move on. And this is actually, if you're looking now, I mean, you're talking to young, ambitious students at the moment. Uh, so I would love to know what your perspective is there. What would you recommend us basically to do with, with our lives? Also knowing that you had quite a systematic approach there. <laughs> Look, Lisa, I would say you're all growing up also in a different time, right? Like mm. when I when I went to university, whatever, 20 years ago, whenever that was in that stone age, really, we were really more brainwashed still in a way to say, oh, you have to go into investment banking or into consulting. And that's kind of the way to go. Um, and also the whole startup scene was not so developed yet. So you generally took more of a investment banking, consulting, or perhaps corporate role kind of path back then and and the options that you guys now have on the table of thinking about starting a social business for example wasn't really something that anyone let's say anyone suggested nor were there even any examples of people that had taken that path 
So I think you guys are in that incredibly rich world that has already changed where people are discussing the role of business much more than that was the case 20 years ago. So I think you guys have an opportunity. Now, in terms of the question, shall one right away jump in and build something or shall one work somewhere else? It really will depend on everyone's personal decision. I mm. personally found it really, really helpful also for my later career that I had that solid grounding in a sort of education at BCG <laughs> in the consulting <laughs> world where I, you know, where I really learned the tools of how to you know, work in business, how to understand how large corporates work, you know, mm -hmm. how to be efficient, how to like get my stuff done. And for me, that was helpful, both in terms of learning that same toolkit and also afterwards in terms of, you know, finding investors, et cetera, for, you know, social business in being able to tell the story that, yeah, indeed, I, I could have gone the normal, let's say, commercial career, but I decided the other way. So it was in some ways also a seal of approval that I'm not some kind of a social dreamer that, um, that has no idea how to get anything done. Um, so for me, that was very helpful. But some people are, you know, much more self-confident and super capable and can right away go down that path. Um, and I definitely wouldn't stop those people. For me, this was the right path. But, you know, you guys are young and enthusiastic. And I'm sure you can also directly jump into the social business or social <laughs> social enterprise, et cetera, world. So but in any case, do something. Don't just like <laughs> don't just, you know, take that normal old school path that's not needed. We make sure to keep this in mind. Thank you so much for sharing that as well. So then our last segment is always the toolbox. So the first question would be here, which is a book that everybody should read? I think right now around climate change, I love the Bill Gates book. Find that great. And then of course, around social business, the world of three zeros from Muhammad Yunus. Clearly you have to read that. <laughs> So you're going to get two books, right. sorry about that. That's, that's good. Which is an app that everybody should download? The FT, the Financial Times. I know that sounds very counterintuitive, but last summer they decided to speak much, much more about the reform of capitalism and all of these ESG topics, impact investing, social business, etc., Uh, so become like read them more and particularly take their moral money newsletter that really speaks about those topics and you'll be at the cutting edge of what's going on. All right. We make sure to check that out. Do you have a podcast that you love listening to? Well, also there, I mean, I guess I listen to Steingart's morning briefing. I listen to the FT morning briefing and I just started one that's called, I believe, Smarter Markets around how financial markets can be shifted to take take more social and environmental uh, responsibility. All right. Is there a routine that you follow? I try, try, try since COVID to go to do sports three times a week and I've put it into my calendar but I often miserably fail, I have to admit. Okay, I mean, that happens. Okay, and the very last one is, who is an innovator that everybody should know? I would say probably pretty much every one of our individual social businesses, like the Tugendas of this world, but there's so many other freaking awesome entrepreneurs in our portfolio. So I would urge everyone to look at our portfolio at Uno Social Business and meet like these over, I don't know, over 30 awesome companies that are solving some of the most tough social and environmental problems in the world. So meet those guys. There's so many, I can't mention all, th all 30, over 30, but you'll find them on our website. 
All right. Thank you for these for these tips, Saskia. So the, our next episode will be actually with Volker Behrens, who is a tri triathlon world champion. So do you have any question that we maybe can take from this call right into the next one, as we did with Hannah's question? Clearly, how do you manage to go way beyond three times sports a week and keep that up for so long? It's How on earth do you keep <laughs> I hope we can ask him with this enthusiasm as well. <laughs> Saskia, thank you so much. I think this was really insightful and I love sharing this with the community. I think it was a lot of great input. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, guys. Wow. So that was quite an insightful episode. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, uh, I think Saskia is this very energetic, uh, good mood person. So it was a lot of fun to talk to her. But besides that, I think the concept of social business is really something uh, that I want to take away from this episode. I think it's it only makes sense to combine this powerful engine, as, he, as she says, which is like business and economics and so on with a social vision. I think that's a very good uh, model to go for. And I, I love that this is what they focus on, uh, unisocial business. So very cool what they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super nice. I also felt like she really had good answers when we were also challenging the topic a bit. And I think social business and how to measure impact is such a complex topic. And to me, it seems like they really thought it through. And that makes me kind of confident that it works. So that was pretty cool as well. Yeah, it's true. Also, like focusing on developing countries that are a bit further away, but there's still so much room to innovate. I think that only makes sense given like the global scale. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. And apart from that, I also liked how she actually ventured into social business. So her approach there with the Excel list, but then also Muhammad Yunus inspiring her to do so. I think this showed to me again that you have such a powerful impact if you just talk to people and get out the word, like basically what she's doing now, right, with talking to us. So this was really cool as well. It's just like these small moments that have such an impact in lives. Yeah, that's true. That's that's definitely true. All right. Uh, with that being said, I hope uh, you enjoyed the episode as well. Our next guest will be Volker Behrens, as you've already heard. Uh, we will talk uh, with him about his triathlon experience, but also his coaching experience. Yeah, stay tuned for that episode. Also, if you have any feedback, please, please feel free to reach out to us. You can always write us an email or on LinkedIn, whatever works for you. And we also want to highlight the team that is behind this with Maria preparing the content, Keke doing the editing, Annalena, the marketing, and Frederick thinking about branding. Shout out to those folks. With that being said, see you in two weeks. Thanks for tuning in.